This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson Weber, and my guests are Rick Boynton, who is the Chicago Shakespeare Theater creative producer, and JQ and GQ, the Q brothers, who are the writers, directors, performers, composers of uh, Othello the Remix, currently playing at CST, and also of two earlier uh, adaptations of Shakespeare um, that we'll also be talking about. So maybe um, it would make sense to talk first about the first of these, uh, do you call them hip-hop adaptations? Of? Call them ad-raptations. Ad-raptations mm-hmm. of Shakespeare plays. And the first one was Bombity of Errors. And where did that come from? Where, who had the idea? Uh, it was, no, the idea didn't, didn't, the idea didn't come from one specific place. It, it, th- my senior year at um, New York University, I was at Tisch School of the Arts in the Experimental Theater Wing. And so for a senior project there, I was studying in this conservatory program, but I was also rapping a lot with some friends of mine in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they happened to be in the Experimental Theater Wing with me as well, two of them. And um, we got together, and I was initially slotted and approved to make a, a hip-hop theater piece um, that was going to be an original piece about what it means to be a boy. Um, because we use the term boy all the time in hip hop. Like, he's my boy. You're my boy. We're boys, you know? So it's, but it was like a time where I was coming of age in, you know, into from boyhood to manhood in some ways. Um, and I wanted to explore that topic through rap in a theatrical setting. Well, that, we only had five weeks to work on something. So cut to two weeks into the thing we didn't really have a lot of original material and it wasn't going the way I had expected. So, um, we decided with three weeks left, we had to adapt an already existing text. So we tossed around people, ideas of authors like Dickens and Kafka and, um, Shakespeare. I think think Dragon had seen Flying Karamazov Brothers version of Chris, of, um, Comedy of Errors. Yeah. And he was like, well, He's like, that's kind of a weird one, and like, there's four main characters, there's four of us. Well, there's three of us at the time. I had to get Catalano on board afterwards. Right, right. Well, he's like, there's four guys, and uh, and then I think coincidentally, it, it is sort of a story about boyhood to manhood, which is kind of cool. You yeah, know I mean? yeah, yeah. It ended yeah. up being what you wanted it to be anyway. Right, right. So we landed on the comedy of errors, um, and I remember going to watch it in the NYU library archives, the BBC version. Cause I, I, I had a reading disability, so I could not read quickly. And that's what kept me away from Shakespeare for a lot of my life. And, um, and I went to go watch it in this cubicle, this like freezing cubicle in the library. And, and I totally, <laughs> I was laughing at the production. Have you ever seen the BBC version of that? I don't think, so. I don't think you should. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, um, but it seemed perfect because there was one other guy we had in mind from Playwrights Horizons who I knew was, who's a really close friend of mine who's a rapper and an actor as well. So four of us jumped on board and in three weeks wrote the initial version of the Bombity of Errors. We put it up. Um, and afterwards we had such a, uh, a response from our, uh, faculty at at uh, ETW as well as um, the, the head of all of Tish, and they kept saying you got to you got to do something with this. You got to do something with this. And um, so, a couple of the guys still had a year of school left, and I went off to uh, deliver 
uh, Italian food on a on a bicycle from this place on Second Ave and Fourth Street, and try to stay busy Frutta in the meantime. Frutti di mare. Um, it's not there anymore. I checked. And uh, um, anyway, a year later, we are putting up. Um, maybe less than a year later six months later we, we put up we we basically we got two we got a list of 200 theater producers in in manhattan and we got their phone numbers and we at night would sit around with like a six pack and working on you know our rhymes for the show and we would start calling we'd wait till after hours to make sure no one answered the phone so we could leave this on a machine and we had a like an eight line rap about this new show that we had at, we were, we, we, that we were going to be doing a 15 minute presentation of in a, a, a space in Soho in an art gallery that we rented out for like 120 bucks to get this space for like two to four hours. And one of the guys, Jordan Allen Dutton, his mother was studying at the French Culinary Institute and she offered to make hors d'oeuvres and bring some champagne. And, um, and so we could offer those things on this, on this invite. So you don't remember the eight line rap, do you? No, it was like, uh, you know, uh, you know, come see the bombity all in your face at, you know, 45 something at the Soho space, um, <laughs> 7 p.m., free champagne and hors d'oeuvres. I, I have no idea. It was basically, it was like the points right. of the evening right. in eight lines. So it was the invitation, not a sample of the play. Exactly. Right. Got Just it. the invitation. <laughs> um, turns out maybe seven people, like we had probably had 15 or 30 people in the room at least, but most of them were our friends and people want to support. There's about seven legitimate producers or assistants of producers. We found out That's pretty because good. it was free. Seems to me for cold well, calling, <clears throat> right? Free champagne and hors d'oeuvres got the assistance of right. the producers. And, <laughs> right. Oh, I'm going to go see this thing and bring some friends. And, and that's what happened. Daryl Roth sent, uh, basically said, is I don't want to go see this. And her assistant Shaheen, uh, came to see it with a friend of hers and said, Daryl Roth, you have to, you have to see this. These yeah. guys are doing something that no one's ever done before. And her boyfriend at the time, Shaheen's boyfriend was Andy Goldberg, who then stepped in as our, <clears throat> excuse me, as our director and developer of the piece. So then we met with Daryl and she saw a little video of what we had done in the school piece at our, as my final right. project. Um, and she had ties at the v New York State Film and Theater Workshop, uh, New York Stage and Film Workshop in Vassar College. She got us there for a three-week workshop attached with Andy. We got we got the thing to the next was level. Was it the same four guys? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was the same four guys with my brother, Jay, five of us now. Mm -hmm. Jay was making all the music and, and was helping us write uh, unofficially at the time as well. Um, <clears throat> and so we showed it at Vassar and then... I don't know, like a month later, we were in 45 Bleecker in a brand new space. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. It that was she like, converted. Uh, that summer, we did Vassar, and she was planning on starting to produce it in um, early 2000, spring of 2000. And because of the, the response at Vassar, she gave, I think, the money to finish the, the 45 theater, Bleecker space. To finish the space wow. in time and be like, and, and just said, we're going right into rehearsals. And basically we got back and a couple weeks later we were in rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. And a few weeks later in production, they were putting the big, huge doors at 45 Bleecker. They were still bolting them in about 10 minutes before uh, <laughs> we were opening the theater wow. in the opening night. So that was the first off-Broadway incarnation of anything um, that we have done with hip-hop and Shakespeare. And that got really a lot of national press we were on rosie o'donnell we were in every 
Possible magazine that would write about theater and even not non theater, like Vogue and all these. Uh, uh, Julie Taymor came to the show and wrote a re- like her like a beautiful paragraph about the show. She was the Great. first one on her on her feet afterwards, and we had some rock stars coming through, and it was that it was this New York hype vibe to it, and um, mm-hmm. and MTV. Uh, we ended up going to Aspen Comedy Festival, HBO Aspen Comedy Festival that year, and. MTV hired us for a triple platform deal to write uh, the movie version of Abomity of Errors, um, of, um, an original movie of the week, and make our own TV show. And Jeez. so <clears throat> that started, that pulled us away from the theater for a while. That pulled us into all different places. Everybody's career from that group, from the Bomity guys, went in separate ways. Jordan and Dragon both were writing, have been writing for. Uh, Robot Chicken, um, and they've been nominated for Emmys like uh, alongside The Simpsons and and well, Family, what, guy. Family Guy and everything. <laughs> and Jay and I, Jay went more into the music scene for a while and did some movies, and I went more into doing movies and TV and living in LA. And about six years ago, how long was that phase? <clears throat> that was about six years, four to six years, four to six years probably straight. And then about six years ago. I was in my backyard um, in Venice, California, right on the border of Venice and Santa Monica, and, and I wasn't working much. My my uh, my auditions had gone down. There was a the movie business kind of crashed, and and I think there was a strike on top. There of was it a strike, and I had just gotten divorced. Like I was basically sitting in my yard getting stoned all the time, thinking like I gotta work soon. Like I really can't do this forever. So I was like, so I, I wrote. I was like, how do I work? How do I make this work happen? Mm. So I asked Jay, and I said, hey man, I'm gonna write a first version of funk it up about nothing much ado about nothing Mm -hmm. and he's like well i'll be there soon to help you with the rest of it we'll go through it so we sat at my kitchen table in that front room and went through it and got it to a place where we felt it was presentable it was not finished but it was presentable we're trying to show it to our old producers in new york we're trying to show it to people in la nobody would i mean i spent months and months calling these people did you read it did you read it did Mm -hmm. you read it to the point where people were getting mad at me for calling about it and i thought you know what like, what am I doing? Where do I, where do we get support from? Chicago. Chicago is our home base. We haven't been there in a long time. I haven't lived there since I was 18. I'm like 30 at the time. Mm. Um, and, uh, called up. I, I was like, where did the, where did, and I was not very familiar with Chicago Shakespeare Theater because I knew that we were working on the MTV thing when they had licensed Abomity of Errors and it ran here with like a, a second or third cast of I ours. I see, and, I see. And so you hadn't been here for that we production. Hadn't been, and, and we, we flew in at the time, but we, we, we happened so fast and, mm-hmm. and, um, it was, life was pretty whirlwindy at the time. So I was like, what's that place, Chicago Shakespeare Theater? Like, <laughs> who, who there would I contact? So I go online and, artistic director Barbara Gaines I was like I think I met her I was like um I'm just gonna call her so I call her and and I don't you know this that I just called and left a message on her missing I think yeah I think you remember but um left a message was like hey I have two songs ready from from I said this is one of the creators is one of the Q brothers the creators of Bomity of Errors we had recorded two of the songs we had recorded two of the songs I was like I have two mp3s to send you um I really uh, want you to read our new script. It's called Funk It Up About Nothing. It's Much Ado. And, um, and you know, within 12 hours, she called back and left me a message saying, hey, I'm in London. Check my voicemail. You said you're going to be in Chicago in two weeks. I'm really excited to talk, talk to you. I would love to see the work. And definitely email those <coughs> musical tracks to me. 
she said I, 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 something like she had just gotten one of them and was already listening and excited. And so two weeks later, I'm in town. Jay and I walk into this building for the first time that we weren't drunk and seeing a production with our second or third cast in it and <clears throat> went into Barbara's office and she said, I have someone for you to meet. He's the best dramaturg, the best developer in the world. And you, uh, I really am excited for you guys to meet him. Rick walks in, um, with all enthusiasm. It's all great that we're talking about what we, they, I, I think it was important that, that Rick and Barbara asked, they said, well, where do you guys see this? What, what do you want to do with this? Mm -hmm. Cause they knew it wasn't finished, but we hadn't said it wasn't finished. We just all knew there was something there. And we, we said, well, we think it needs some workshopping. And, um, and they're like, Oh, we're glad you said that. Because <laughs> that was the right answer. <laughs> right. We're on the same page. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And, um, you know, 40, we, we, we didn't have it at that point. We didn't have a, we didn't have, at that point, we didn't have a plan like exactly how many, but they said, why don't we workshop it for a week? We'll see how that goes. We'll have actors read it and then we can do another one of those if you want. Mm -hmm. But the idea would be that we're going towards production. I mean, truly Barbara had like set up this meeting and I think she called me like 15 minutes before. <laughs> well, no, maybe she had done that the day before because I had read it. Yeah, so yeah I had read right. it. So, and there was, um, the vomity had been such a tremendous success. And it was so clever and um, had just made such a stir, as right. G talked about, that when, when you know, we looked at, we were just starting our new work development then. Yeah. And, and really sort of the point of entry for new work was to riff on Shakespeare. Right. This was almost like this gift, I thought, that we received from these guys saying, you know, we want to work on this. And... Um, it was really a perfect opportunity to like to start developing new work. Yeah, and um, I mean, because it was new, but it was also kind of a proven. Well, I don't want to say formula, but yeah. Formula. <laughs> although what was fascinating, and and they'll talk more about the mm -hmm. process, but what was fascinating in that is that their first stage, and and G and, and Jay can talk more about this, but is really they do like this this literal translation of the show into this foreign language uh -huh. which is hip-hop you know what i mean it right. seems like a right. foreign language translation right and so that it was so so far from like what vomity was i think that's what g was talking about when we sort of <laughs> said uh where do you think this you know right. where yeah. are you in the development of this right yes. right yeah. you know right. and it was like and they were they were understanding that this was like the first step and and that's when it was like it, it became this this um really wonderful thing that created this long very long lasting creative relationship, relationship. between us yeah so before we leave that phase the bombetti i have a question which is why why was it such a hit it was good obviously it was really really good it was clever it was fun but it feels like there was some zeitgeist or something beyond that that made it it's strange you ask because you know it's funny because it's it, it's definitely this is our best one by far i thought the pieces have only gotten Artistic. better each time yeah. uh -huh. i think you know and mm -hmm. it, the craftsmanship has gotten better each time yeah that we've approached these two mixing these two mediums but it, it, it <laughs> i think it was, it's because it was the first one that's it, was exactly so right. original. it was ahead of the curve yeah so it was it was ahead of the curve it like had it was uber funny uh -huh. with a really accessible Shakespeare yeah. with four guys 
doing it. So there was not only the, not only the fact that you're riffing on Shakespeare, not only the fact that it's hip hop, that it feels really cool, really hip, but it's also this amazing feat that they're doing by performing it. So it had, it like worked on, you know, five different levels. And, and really, I think it was one of the first, it was one of the first times where it crossed um, generational boundaries in terms of Shakespeare. Yes. And hip hop. And hip hop. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where so like it, there were, you know, so, so people many like me people that seeing, could enjoy it. Are hearing hip hop, really listening to hip hop for the first time. And people like, you know, my son. Me. <laughs> yeah, right. Are watching really Shakespeare. watching a Shakespeare yeah. play. Yeah. 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 Well, but just, just to, um, really quick, because I think mm-hmm. it's a really good ending to that, that whole buildup that I was getting at. Nobody yeah. will even look at this play. Yeah. After a 40 minute meeting with Rick and Barbara, Jay and I walked out of here a little dazed after, after handshakes with them. Mm-hmm. And we walk out and we look at each other in the front of the theater. And we're like, I think we're getting our play produced. Nine months later, we were in production up. on yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And then how many months later we were in? 11. We were Ed- open. And then we were in Edinburgh. Yeah. You know? Yep. But <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that all those New York producers who thought it was the coolest thing ever and the, <clears throat> with the reviews and the response you got, why weren't they interested in the second one? Doesn't that seem strange? Actually, it's not. I'll speak from a producer's yeah. perspective. P- producers love being, feeling like they've discovered the thing. Yep. The next thing. Yep. And I think it takes, um, a good deal of investment as a producer to de- to to identify the talent and then to work with the artists mm-hmm. to say, oh, we're going to create something even better. Mm-hmm. And that really comes from the regional theater right. movement, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also, yeah. I mean, on top of that, I think it was like the the members of the group had changed. Um, like, and and yes. like, you know, our group went from five to two. Mm-hmm. And 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 we weren't, and, and I think that that particularly two of the other guys were seen as the comic driving force, mm-hmm. and so they were like, I think there was this, um, there was a little bit of this attitude like, well, how are you two going to make this funny? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? There was definitely that because mm-hmm. there were people who knew us as the group, and though I spearheaded that, uh, it was written by four or five of us and those guys were the comic uh mm-hmm. corner and clutch of the group and so for jay and i to in the in in doing funk it up like we were like we had to sit there and be like are, are we are we funny like, <laughs> and 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 uh and so we went to a formula and we learned a lot from those guys we were like okay three jokes per page we started getting scientific you were analyzing about it. what they had done in mm-hmm. vomiting cool. yeah we learned a lot from them mm-hmm. yeah and they're still great friends of ours. Like, uh, and we learned a lot from when we did that television show with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, from we had a writing staff and a head writer and all that. So we learned from all, that whole experience, yeah. right. which yeah. was like sitcom formulas and like how to make sure there's an even number of jokes throughout it, and that mm-hmm. you're not letting it dip too far and mm-hmm. things like that, and mm-hmm. and and just. And that was something that, you know, we had to learn. And then something we learned and something that Rick helped to bring out of us. And he, Mm -hmm. he recognized it and said, you guys, you guys are this thing. Like you be your, the way we are when we hang out together. He's like, be like that in this script, like inject your humor into it and And, embrace it. And the pushing, um, specificity. Cause really the humor comes out of 
the, no. the specificity of how specific these ridiculous characters are and then watching them interact. So if they're answering honestly, if you're writing from an honest perspective of this super ridiculous, very specific character, it's going to be funny. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's going to be real. Yeah. Shakespeare was, I mean, a great sitcom writer. I mean, it's like why comedy of errors is funny is those particular characters in that given situation in those circumstances, right? right? right. And it's the same with Much Ado. I mean, we laugh at Benedict because of who he is, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh-huh, I mean, uh-huh. right. Yeah. 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 In it's that totally. situation. How did you pick uh, Much Ado for the second one? And then we'll talk about Othello, which is obviously a departure again. Uh, I mean, much ado, just because um, my older brother TQ, the the first of the Q brothers, um, kind of said, "I want to see you guys do that next," and we we're like, "Okay." But it's pretty much that's, what it is. that's a really good story. Can you tell it actually, actually, I think you messed the part of it out. He goes, he goes, "Remember that movie? I love Emma Thompson. You guys should do that one." That's, story. that's what it was. And we were that's like, and better. so we watched it again, and we were like. That is pretty good. We yeah. should do that one. Right. <laughs> that was pretty much it. And well, that and uh, that—that's one of the first times I ever was affected by Shakespeare. Was growing up, I saw that movie because mm-hmm. with my friends, like we could we got extra credit if we went to see that movie. I forgot. I must have been like twelve at the time or something. Right. And so me and my friends all went, and we were like. Whoa, I mean, it's colorful. It was full of life and music and energy. And there's Keanu Reeves. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, it was right. just like we could laugh Denzel. at. Kenny yeah. Greta would be really happy to hear that. Because I think be that was very that. much his impulse was to kind of popularize what he loved. And now the next kind of step in that is you're taking that story from the movie that you liked and making it accessible yeah. to yeah. a different kind yeah, of uh, Yeah, I mean, and, and to be to be honest, we I mean, we we used a lot of... We used uh, se- several of his edits. We, I mean, we mm. definitely used. Yeah. And we even, and then other times we would look at his and refer to it again later mm-hmm. and realize we had naturally made the same edit same as choice. him. That's you really know, interesting. Which is yeah, really which cool. Which is really cool to see. So you, so you worked, you developed Much Ado together and apparently, and presumably created the process for working together on that piece. Mm-hmm. And Rick, you mentioned sort of the first step of it is that the, Q, the cues, sure. <laughs> well done. The cues essentially translate the script into what? What's the name of that language? Oh, it's what would you call it? Yeah, it's just a rhyming version of Shakespeare's original. It puts in some hip hop, but it's still like forty percent Shakespeare's actual words. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Does um does hip hop only have one rhythm like? Okay, so Shakespeare's iambic pentameter, five feet. It does hip. Does all hip hop, all rap music, have the same number of syllables? It's in all line? four four, but it it's is. not necessarily all spoken in four four. If that makes sense, Doesn't, the yeah. backbone, like the music behind it, will be in four four. Yep. And the person speaking over it can go along exactly with that. Or ditch it for a little bit, yes. or leave duck outs yes. and like you know right. leave rests and things like that that right. make it much more conversational. So it doesn't sound like I'm um, rapping all the time right, right to you right here and right. Blah, 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 rhyme. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. like, that would Stretch be boring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, would be boring. You know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got Shakespeare's iambic pentameter going into four, 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 four. right? And then you and then you have to imagine the situation or how you're going to adapt the. The situation, the story, right? Yeah. Well, then, 
Jay is usually making music for, based on a couple ideas of numbers that he's envisioning and to also give a flavor of, of, of the, the play style. at that, the style yeah. at that point. And, and then Jay and I sit down for, I don't know, a number of weeks and he's, Jay's really good at over, like seeing the overall picture and he'll be like, these two characters can become one. These three scenes don't have to happen three times. They can happen once. Yeah. This can, and then we'll go to a version that, that is like where I'm fighting for pieces of Shakespeare to stay in and he's saying he doesn't need it. And then if I justify it hard enough, he's going, okay, well, you really studied this shit. Let me go back and look. And, and then he's like, yeah, you're right. There is something we have to keep about that. And so we get into a place where um, it's kind of good that one of us, that he's more familiar with the original, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I read it before we work on it a couple times, but then I try and like not get too attached to it. And yeah. so I think it's good that one of us is super into the dialogue of every moment and knows exactly what happens. And then I, I actually like to sit back and just go like, uh, what does this part mean? And ask him and then be like, Oh, I, that I get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's how we need to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, and then <laughs> kind of dig it. How out. do you want to say that? And then, um, and then we joke it up as much as possible. Like we, we get it to a certain place where we know it still needs, where it's just presentable enough for us to feel like it's a first draft, which right. is kind of like a second. Like draft. we could put it over music and try it on its feet, basically. Right. Yeah, and, and then that's when we get. That's when we we Rick. read it. Rick reads it first, mm-hmm. and then he says, "I want to see it read. I want to hear it read." Right. And then he's feeling out for. Well, there's a huge dip here here's a hole this character has no hook he's he, he, he calls a jam out. session usually about each character we go down the line mm-hmm. and try and figure out what their particular character hook is right mm-hmm. and then the same thing for a situation and or where this there's not enough songs in the first half and things like that you know right I mean? is that is that accurate or do you want to add to how, how do you see it at that point when we first do that first reading i think it's it's the dramaturgy of of the whole so you've got like each character arc right you've got you know the overarching story of how that's sort of what what are the dynamics of that how that's laying out and then like for the musicality of it you have it acting like a musical so it's like there's a formula to it in the sense that you need a song in certain places to buoy the audience and to keep them going and to keep them interested and also to like reveal those those certain aspects of a character that can only be revealed in song mm-hmm. so it's like all that stuff and and honestly we sit around and and talk about it and laugh usually mm-hmm. and when we all laugh we're like oh that's good right yeah. yeah. you know right. we do and then and, and it's it's actually i can't think of a more fluid process between in a collaboration it's really difficult it's like, to say who dis, does what and whose idea is what. So and when fluid. we look back, it's like, and there's no oh, who ego. did come up with that? That's well, and really there's cool. no ego, and that's what's so wonderful about it. And it's the other thing is that that's like a great joy for like a developer or someone who's developing is um, is to be able to give a note and to have a a vision of what you think it should be, but to not be prescriptive 
necessarily mm-hmm. prescriptive. Sometimes I do prescriptions, but, uh-huh. but like to not be prescriptive and then to see what comes back the next day and try to shape that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like a good director shaping an right. actor rather than saying, I'm going to read this line for you. Right. Now. It's like, right. yeah, no. Yeah. And it lets it, and what's wonderful about that is nine times out of 10, they would come back with either like where I was thinking or something or better. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, Rick is also one thing, is so amazing. Like the same way he said it, but I want to put it in other words, is he's a, he's a master question asker. Mm-hmm. You'll ask a question like, what do you, what do you think is happening here and why isn't this happening? And I don't know exactly where it's going, but don't you think it could go somewhere absurd or this way or wherever? And that's when we Enough go off and we work you. and we come back and mm-hmm. he's, I just wanted to credit you saying that I love the way that you, you know exactly what to ask when to ask it. Well, that is a gift. Yeah. So Jay, when you're, you, you said that pretty early in the process, you did a couple of songs mm-hmm. and are the songs based on actual pieces of text of Shakespeare? Is it a place where you go to the side and do something completely A little separate? bit of both. So uh-huh. sometimes I just like take, like I'll just read passages and then kind of like catch the natural vibe of them and try to just make some music that I think captures the just the vibe of certain sections of the play mm-hmm. and then uh and then we usually grab like so I'll, I'll make like maybe 10 or 12 beats like when we first start making a play and like Maybe seven or eight of them are just like vibe beats that can be used for scenes. Cause unlike any other musical, <clears throat> the book in this one is also over music. Mm-hmm. And so those are usually used for that part. You're, for, you're just for, saying in, there's essentially what I would call underscoring for, for that's right. all of the scenes. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, but, but then I start working on two or three larger numbers and we've sort of started to discuss oh this can be a big number like we mm-hmm. knew from jump that why i hate the more was going to be why i hate the more we had like so that was one of the first things you wrote yeah mm-hmm. and it was this is why i hate the more and and uh and so that one came out great and casio also came out like really fast in that way i get the impression that you're maybe more intuitive so maybe you don't want to answer this question but Analytically, is there anything you can say about why a particular moment in the play lends itself to become a, a song? I think when wh- it usually happens when our scene, wor- our rhyming scene work doesn't feel like enough. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, just know? that simple is kind of empirical. It has to explode right. into song. I mean, Amelia has to sing that song. Mm-hmm. You'll see, like you look in the original when Shakespeare had something big happen. A lot of times, or something incredibly intricate vocally, verbally happen, you usually go like, well, that requires something from us. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're doing it in music means usually a song there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So we had the two comedies, and now it's not your older brother telling you you should do much ado. It's somebody saying, you know what, next we should do a tragedy and it should be Othello. So how did that part happen? <laughs> we were fortunate enough to get a run at, on the east end of London at the Royal Theatre Stratford East. And with Funk. CST brought us over there and Richard Jordan with Funk It Up. Yeah. And... um and two of the people who worked at the Globe came and saw that show. Um, and then afterwards, yeah, we went into a 
to a meeting with them and they said, we're doing this huge festival. We're doing all of Shakespeare's plays in 38 different languages. So is there one you guys would want to do? And we were like, sure. What about Much Ado? We've already written that one. And they're like, well, all we have left is Othello. And G was like, well, I was thinking Othello next would be good. (laughs) (laughs) We did. We we had been wanting to do a tragedy. I thought the next Uh one, I thought if we did a tragedy, the first one would be Hamlet, but, um, or even Macbeth, but, um, but it so it wasn't a it wasn't a choice then uh so we talked to Rick about it and CST says Let's do it we'll make it happen with you guys and bring you over and and we would love for if you guys wanted to accept this invitation from them and uh and, and I was like, no. Jay, Jay didn't want to, actually. He didn't know. He didn't know. He had no idea. What, I didn't know what the globe was. He didn't know what I was the, like, the we're going to spend all this time to do a play three times? That doesn't make any sense. He knows for three days we're going to spend six months. And I was like, yeah. Like, and Then he kind of explained to me the, the like significance of and what that could potentially roll in. Right. You know what I mean? And but sure it took, enough, it took that's some what happened. Com- serious convincing. <laughs> it did. It's a pretty and daunting task to be like, oh, and in six months you have to come up with this play. You get to do it three times. You know? I was like, you <laughs> premiere. So first preview and premiere is on the stage of the globe in front of 1,600 people. Yeah. Which is a whole other experience right. we can talk about. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we, within six to eight months, we, <laughs> we, we did it. We did it. From... First like draft from the end of first draft, it was less than four months, and that and we were a long was, ways away. It was end of January. It was end of January, and we were and we all we had a reading we, of it. Oh my god, tell me! <laughs> like, and we, definitely all pooped our pants at the end of that. <laughs> oh my god, it was so. It was who was it for? It. Wait, what's the setting? For Where ourselves. are we? It was for ourselves, and there were a few key people at Chicago Shakes uh-huh. who sat there snoring, and. Um, <laughs> And it was, and it was like this. It was a sitcom because it's like everybody left, and the three of us were sitting there going, "Oh, oh man, God. <laughs> someone and, get a Because it just it was, thudded. It just did. Oh, it was actually. You know why? Because um, they threw the baby out the bathwater. I think in that first one to the in like it was like it's a tragedy. We're going to make it a tragedy. I see. And right. and the idea of you know how to deal with with Desdemona because quite honestly in that reading and she's a fantastic actress and uh-huh. she's you know incredible but it just you know did so we, not we have to play explain in the for so so Desdemona there is no actress playing Desdemona she's just a singing voice off stage with and she with no words it's abstract and it's really it, for some reason I can't tell you why I never know why something is good I just know that it is that's really good that really works the Desdemona thing was like I knew at that moment when that idea came in mm. that it was going to click yeah i knew yeah. it was going to click yeah it's because we were all worried and I then that, then it was then it was easy because oh, it seemed simpler because it's like hey the four of us are just going to tell a story that's exactly right i mean and also the, the the narrators didn't exist in that version that's right and yeah. the narrators parts are some of the coolest parts of this whole play is when you watch the four of us rapping few syllables at a time and then joining each other for certain words and the Mm -hmm. intricacy of that storytelling is really like i think part of the crux of this production Mm -hmm. and it's it makes it awesome to listen to somebody telling a story in third person Mm -hmm. and it makes it really lively done in four personalities of narrators and what's what's what i think is and getting back to like the shakespeare and i think shakespeare would like watch this performance and be and be marveled at the way 
like they just described the narration, mm. the sense of ensemble and the sense that one, each one, each, you know, ensemble member is maybe taking one word in a sentence and you're, you're getting the complete mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. and it's getting the period at the end or the exclamation point at the end. And it's feeling like not a disjointed phrase, but completely one thought coming from an ensemble. Mm-hmm. That's to me, and that's to something me, the music would allow on, you to do, right? It would yeah, be pretty hard like to do that without the beats before. underneath. That, well, that's the music and, that drives. That oh, it's a so, bit. but but it's more than that. There's mm-hmm. there's it's that it's is that is a that is the the, the sort of the glue, a bit of the glue, mm-hmm. but it's the fact that this ensemble right. is unbelievably tight and they all breathe together right they right. all breathe together and so it's it's one organism up on that stage yeah it's really cool well this takes us back to something that jay said earlier which is that you feel like artistically this is several steps up from the two earlier pieces mm-hmm. you said that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so we've talked about some of it can you at all characterize why what you think what the breakthroughs have been or what well, I think this in this one particular, we talked about some of them, but I think in in general, the the if you're an audience member, the biggest one you're going to notice is that there are some pretty dark moments. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first so thing. Just, it's a more serious that's, undertaking. That's the biggest difference you're going to see yeah. with this show as opposed to the previous two. Is you're going to get uppercut in the gut, and you're going to go, "Oh, I didn't." The whole time I had forgot. Guy. How mm-hmm. are they going to kill this girl? You know, mm-hmm. and then when it happens, it's it's kind of a cool trick, and and the, yeah, you know. I think it's, that it's very good theatrically, yeah. and also we're 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 fifteen years older than Bahamadi, and we're six plus years older than Funk It Up, so and we don't stop working. Like our craft is constantly being honed, and um, our foresight now that we've been working with Rick, like the same way that when I write that first draft is now further along than that first draft a long time ago because i'm i'm writing it through jay's eyes going ah that's not good enough or this should be cut or and this whatever picture would say so when we're doing it yeah. we're already picturing rick go you know that character's not strong enough so we're like we gotta right. so it's like every time we have a new one You're sitting on your shoulder both of you right. a little ahead than we were before which i think right. is n- natural and i would hope would happen right. with all of us right. so right you just extended. Is that true? We did. We did. Woo! Congratulations to the end of to the end of July. Now it's really been incredible. I read, I read something um, recently in some publication saying that um, this is the most diverse audience uh, that Chicago Shakes has experienced, mm-hmm. and and also said that it was the most tickets for the their. Uh, they have a program. If you're under 35, you can get twenty dollars tickets. You see, the most of those sales, the sales per for capita have happened for with yeah. this show, which yeah. I think is speaks hugely for the institution, for the piece itself, and for the audiences that are coming in. Yeah, it's so cool that you guys even do that. I mean, to see a theater at a huge professional of this, right. you know what I mean, not storefront theater. Yeah, is well, you have to 20 specify. Bucks? We're in Chicago. If you're talking about, <laughs> if you're talking about the big three, value, right. body Val- something like that. Fine, I value. Know. I think it's the best ticket in the world. <laughs> yes. Now, now there. Put a put all right. Well, that like clearly it. we have to end there. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me about. Thank it. you, thanks, thanks for uh, having us.